This is ScreenBeam's Collaborative Tech Talks, discussing collaboration and better communication in the places where we learn the most. Hello and welcome to Collaborative Tech Talk, a podcast from ScreenBeam. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the podcast. Now, on the last episode of the show, we talked to Mike Ellenberger about the unique situations that businesses are now finding themselves in due to COVID. And today we're going to discuss how this is impacting integrators from a planning standpoint. And joining me today is Mark Coxon. He's a technology leader at Tangram Interiors. But also, if you're in the AV world, Mark is surely someone that you've come across uh, because he does a lot in the world of AV. Uh, He's a digital workflow and AV professional and blogger and podcast host. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, Tyler. It's a little intimidating having a fellow podcast host on the podcast, um, but I'm going to do my best to keep it together. But uh, it's great to have you on the podcast. And obviously, if you'd listen to my podcast, you you wouldn't be so intimidated. So it's okay. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that very much. But obviously, you have a, a lot of expertise and, uh, and insights uh, that you can provide to us here uh, on our topic today. So, uh, Mark, let's start off here. What would you say are the most important elements that today's professionals have lost due to COVID? You know, when um, when we look out at the at the workplace, it's funny. COVID, I think, has affected different markets slightly differently. You know, out there. But one of the common things that we hear companies are missing is that uh, I guess that ability to collaborate, kind of on the fly, and some of that engineer chaos that happens when people are physically together, right? So, you know, when we when we go into an office, when we're in a physical space together. Um, there are collisions, there are chance meetings that happen. And sometimes those lead to, you know, maybe an innovative conversation or getting a unique viewpoint on getting a problem unstuck. And I think right now everything is on, um, you know, such a schedule that we, um, we expect people to come to a meeting, you know, at 2 p.m. ready to brainstorm when we don't really know what happened in their environment the two or three hours before that. So I guess... Um, you know, the ability for people to be in the state of mind to accomplish a task in a world that's very time-based as opposed to a world that, you know, had some had some fluidity to it uh, is hard for some companies, especially if the company is is one that relies on, uh, you know, innovation to move their, their business forward on a daily basis. So we've seen a lot of people say that they really miss that. They have a hard time getting decisions made kind of in a collaborative way and that two, three hours in the office really is the cure to unsticking that. And unfortunately, we don't always have that option right now. You know, that's a, that's a great point. It, it almost feels like, uh, okay, everyone, we're going to sit down here on a Zoom call and we're going to, um, we're all going to brainstorm and we're going to just be creative. It almost forces it to happen in a moment when that's not really how collaboration and creativity work most of the time, right? Like, like you mentioned, it, you, don't, you can't schedule, now I will be creative. Uh, sometimes that just kind of has to happen. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's so funny because... You know, in in workplace design, and I, Tangram is a larger workplace design company. I happen to be the technology leader there, but technology is one small part of what we do as a company at Tangram. And you know, there was always um, at Tangram, we had always had this idea of adjacency as something being very important. And what I mean by that is that that these collaborative spaces or these spaces where people could break out and meet needed to be close to their workplaces. Because during a workday, like most people, they unless they're going to the bathroom or the cafe, they usually interact with people that are within a, a couple hundred feet of them in an office space. And so, you know, it's why it's nice to have, um, you know, clusters of people that are cross-disciplinary so that, you know, you are within a couple hundred feet of somebody in 
your design department or within a couple hundred feet of somebody in customer service or somebody in engineering, that those people are close because you'll tend to gravitate towards the people that are close to you. But this idea of adjacency always was if you have an idea, if you have a problem, if you have something that's going on and you bump into that person, if you don't have a place that's close, if you don't have a place that's close to where you're at, that you can quickly gather your laptop or just take your phone out of your pocket, sit down and then start to meet, you almost lose that moment. And you know, workplaces were were being designed to have these spaces in there, but there's no real such thing as adjacency in a virtual world, right? Like, where is the impromptu Zoom meeting that happens when all of a sudden I have an idea that I need to talk to somebody about and we mm-hmm. need three other people to be in the room? Um, I can't just go tap those people on the shoulder and sit down with them in a space like I used to. I have to coordinate schedules, have to make sure they're home, have to make sure they're not picking up their kids or that they're doing something else during the rest of the day. And sometimes those aha moments get lost. You know, and it's a real problem. It's like I said, especially for companies that need to innovate or companies that are in growth mode, um, it becomes a real stumbling block to you know their process. So, when it comes to how companies are um, bringing people back into the office, when that happens, what major changes have you seen in terms of how they're handling that process to provide a safer work environment, given everything that's going on, but also the desire to want collaboration and the things we're mentioning. I think there are two main ways that people are changing the workplace based on returning from COVID. So number one is obviously the safety protocols, right? And you mentioned that. And that was one of the things we had to really look at at Tangram too, because we have, you know, 300 employees, we have three different offices. Um, We have people that need to be in the office every day. There are people who are project managers or people who are receiving shipments in a warehouse or loading trucks or even doing field installations. And integrators have those those same problems, right? I mean, you can't virtually install Cat5 in a building. You just can't do that. So, you know, (laughs) there are people that have to be out at work every single day in our our economy in order for things to, to happen within our businesses. And so, you know, those safety protocols are one, you know, temperature scanning happens to be one, um, you know, we log into our building through an app, we answer a questionnaire, there's contact tracing. Um, if somebody's sick, we know who was in the office that day who may have been exposed, we can alert people and make sure that they take care of themselves um, and potentially limit their contact if they need to until they figure out, you know, if they've been uh, affected or not. And so I think there's a lot of that going on as and managing density within the workplace, et cetera. So there's technology that does that. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, I think what we're finding is that when people are in the office, you know, we can't all be in the same space anymore. So a room that sat 12 seats six, and if you still need those 12 people in the meeting, those 12 people are distributed, even if they are all in the office. So you have, you know, six in this room, and then you have four in the room down the hall, and then you have you know, to maybe two still at their desks. Planning for how do we spaces where we used to all sit in one room and now make sure that we're connecting, you know, two or three rooms together can become tricky. I, I say that hybrid, this hybrid work that we're going back to is actually a lot more difficult to pull off and a lot trickier to navigate mm-hmm. than the work from home transition was. Because the work from home from home transition was take your laptop, take your phone, download Zoom, download Teams, download whatever we use, and everybody's using that. That that was in, although it may have been a culture switch for many companies, the actual tools needed to do that are pretty easy. But when you now start to talk about how do we connect all these disparate devices to a space, and then how do we connect all those spaces together within a building and make sure everybody has an equal experience, that becomes a lot harder question. And I think that's what people are starting to navigate now that they're coming back. 
And so piggybacking off of that, there, there was a recent study by PwC that uh, surveyed 330 CFOs and they were asked about return to work transitions. And uh, they said that these things were the top things that they needed to implement, changing workplace safety measures and requirements, and then reconfiguration of work sites to promote physical distancing. And so have you seen as a result of those, uh, those sorts of changes an increase in equipment and hardware demand? And if so, what types of areas are, are being created, be it you know, larger scale breakout rooms or things along those lines? What what, what are you seeing in that area? A hundred percent. I agree with those two things. And I think I, I probably just accidentally touched on those same two things as the trends that I saw, right? right. Like I said, we're we're reconfiguring spaces to, to have less density. I think the hardware requirements are, are twofold. So I think there's a hardware component to this. And I think the gap, the gap analysis that we're all going to have to do is going to show us that there is still some room in this market to innovate the tools that we have. Right. So when people are looking at, um, you know, connecting spaces, the first run out there was on webcams. And if you were looking for a, you know, a Logitech webcam in May, good luck. I mean, they were $400 on eBay. The $120 versions were going for 3X, right? The, the Logitech webcam in May of 2020 was the Tickle Me Elmo of like, you know, <laughs> years back at Christmas, right? Like you could not find one at a good price and people were selling them. Um, so webcams were the first thing because again, we sent everybody home. They all needed webcams if they didn't have them. There was a huge, you know, huge jump in demand for that. What we're seeing now is, um, you know, a, a demand for devices that allow for cross-platform because a lot of people were very comfortable with Zoom at home or, you know, with those type of video collaboration platforms. But then maybe their corporate policy is that we use Teams because of security or because we all have Microsoft on our work computers or, or that our partners use Teams. So now all of a sudden we have um, employees that want to use multiple platforms and that becomes trickier. You know, uh, not a lot. There are certain devices that work really well on one platform and then not on others. And so trying to figure out, you know, how do we how do we best now that people are coming back, leverage um, their know how of the platform that they know and like to use, um, not disrupt that momentum that they've already gained, but then create spaces in our workplace that, you know, will use their personal cell phone, the laptop we've handed them, et cetera, and, and get those, those same platforms up and running as easily as they did when it was just one device with one person. One to one's pretty easy, but then when you start to go one to many, it becomes harder. So, you know, I think there are a lot of opportunity for uh, cross-platform devices or, pla- or devices that are just platform agnostic in general. Mm-hmm. You know, if I can put a device in a room that if I have Apple, then I use AirPlay. And if I have a Windows computer, then I hit Windows K and Miracast pops on. And if I have a Google Chromebook, then Chromecast automatically works. Like to have a device that automatically picks those up without any, uh, I guess, you know, input by the user that they just come in and hit what they always hit to share their screen and the device recognizes that's what they're trying to do. Um, those rooms create way less friction and create that speed. And you can have a lot of rooms like that. I would say the problem is when we have more and more rooms is we have the we probably have the same budgets for technology we had before, but now we got to outfit twice as many spaces. We have the same number of people meeting, but the group spaces, you have to have more. So we're seeing more open space. We're seeing more outdoor spaces. We're seeing, you know, a lot different than putting, you know, six people in a 15 by 15 room and calling it a huddle room. We can't do that anymore mm-hmm. because of space. You know, there's a lot of room for, uh, but I think there's still a lot of room for innovation in on the software side. Just because we give the somebody the ability to launch a platform doesn't mean that it's the best platform to actually work in. And I think, 
you know, something like Zoom and Teams, although they're really good for a video meeting and there's a little chat panel, they're not good for like a, you know, they're not as good for for like a brainstorming session or collaboration because you don't have a kind of this asynchronous workspace that lives outside. And I think, think there's a lot of room for um, improvements in the platforms to help with things like, you know, brainstorming, brain writing, uh, you know, design thinking, all these things that we use in our businesses now to uh, to innovate. Those platforms are really not designed to work in that way or to facilitate that workflow. So I think we're going to see more and more companies start to figure out how to make their devices work in that kind of way. That's interesting. You know, and you, you brought up needing maybe twice as many devices because now we can't put a bunch of people in, you know, a smaller space. And so, you know, double the double the amount of devices perhaps to, to allow for these types of breakout spaces and collaboration and that sort of thing. Is that one of the top hurdles that integrators are facing going into 2021 when it comes to preparing for the new workplace environment? Just the fact that there's going to need to be more devices deployed in more creative and different ways, I suppose. Uh, what What's your perspective on that? What are the top hurdles that integrators are facing? Yeah, I th- I think that is a I think that is a major hurdle. Number one, just the you know the amount of hardware that you know a company may need to put in to have enough spaces to still facilitate those type of meetings. Now, some people will still be at home, so there maybe you don't have as many people in the office, but you are going to have people kind of cross connecting across the space. Like I said, you could have six in one room, two at their desk, and maybe four still at home, or however that however that works out. I think another major challenge for you know, a company that's an integration company right now is it's always difficult to have a conversation around a free piece of software. And I guess what I mean by that is like, if Zoom is a free piece of software and the employee already had the laptop, there wasn't a lot of investment that they had to make in remote work. The laptop most likely already had a camera on it and probably already had a microphone and the device was pretty much already ready to go. And the licensing for the platform isn't very expensive. And if you break it down in a large enterprise per user, it, it amortizes it to down to a few bucks, right? Then to say you need you need to spend $20,000 on a room to use this free piece of software, mm-hmm. um, that can become a jump, right? They're like, well, wait a second. We didn't really have to spend a lot to use this free piece of software, at least on hardware in the beginning. And now we're all of a sudden, we're using the same piece of software, but now we're having to spend you know some money to get these rooms ready for this. And you know why is that cost so high? And how is that important? You know, and I, I so I think there's kind of there's this misconception that because the software is inexpensive, that a good meeting experience in a physical space is inexpensive. When really there's there's going to be some costs associated with it. It's cheaper than ever. I mean, than it's ever been. I mean, I mean, I remember when, you know, when I was talking to a real estate company back in you know 2012 about video conferencing. Like, you know, they're like, well, once you can get it down to under ten, fifteen thousand dollars a room, we'll talk about it because it was about twenty, thirty thousand dollars a room at the time, and that was just for you know the camera, the codec, the microphones, etc. Now we don't have those hard pieces of you know those pieces of hardware necessary for those type of meetings anymore so we can get those rooms down to under that target they were talking about but now the hurdles even changed again right so that that barrier to entry sometimes the free software can hurt you so this idea that um because zoom teams etc have proliferated in a wide way so many people are using them all of a sudden opens the door for a ton of hardware sales is true in a way if you can if you can navigate that initial kind of uh, knee jerk that it's going to cost some money to use these same free tools in a good way in a physical environment at your office 
right? So that's a really good point, and just the uh, the maybe counterintuitiveness that 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 might be there for for some people as they think through oh free tools, but okay, in order to maximize these, there's going to have to be uh, an expenditure here. So, what well, what are some of the most important takeaways that you would share to today's businesses who are going through the COVID nineteen budgeting process and thinking through some of the things that we're we're discussing here? Um, you know, and and maybe your last answer kind of plays into this as well. Just understanding that there's a cost associated with maximizing the use of free tools like what we've discussed but what what are some of the main takeaways that, that you would um, that you would give to business leaders today as they go through this process my first and foremost piece of advice is is you know sit down and do a gap analysis with your teams and employees and what I mean by that is you've now had both experiences you had a a primary work from office experience before COVID. You know what that looked like. You know what your investment was in that. You know what your workplace looked like. In fact, it may still look like that just without people in it right now, right? I mean, that, <laughs> you might not have to change your office so much yet. It might just still be sitting there and you're awaiting, um, you know, the the okay uh, to have everybody come back in or have people come back in a staged way. And you've had the experience of having everyone at home and working through their remote tools. What I mean by having the gap analysis is sit down and really look at like, okay, what worked really well full remote? And then where do we feel as an organization we lost something going into a remote world? Because I think the real success is going to be figuring out where the gaps were in remote and then figuring out how the office then starts to play a role in bridging the gaps between full remote and this new hybrid world that we're going to be in. Because odds are, most people are saying, I think, what is the, the studies say, 70, 80 70% of people want to have an office, but they only want to be in, you know, two days a week or three days a week, right? Like they still want a place to go. They still want a place to uh, commune with coworkers. They still want a place to go, maybe do some deep focus work or some task-based work, but they don't want it to be a requirement that they have to be there every single day. They want to be able to uh, discern when that's a good place to be versus working at home and still have that flexibility. We're going to have people coming back in, but maybe not there all the time. Um, so doing that gap analysis and making sure that you know what worked really well. Where were we surprised? When when we went work remote, we were really worried that this wasn't going to be good and it was awesome. Like this part really worked well for our team. We, re we did really well with doing our corporate meetings or our director's meetings virtually where potentially we did those in person before. Mm -hmm. And then look at oh, well, geez, but in these meetings where we had to make decisions, it took us four or five meetings to make a decision instead of one. Or in these meetings where we needed three or four of our graphic designers together in our marketing department to pound out a project, it really took a lot more back and forth. And um, our cloud storage tools weren't, weren't real great. And it took them a long time to have to upload a file to a site and then download it back. And then the collaboration really just took a long time. You probably do that, see that with podcasts and everything else. I mean, imagine if you're, you're doing a, your workflow is is rendering out a video and doing edits. I mean, to save that video in a format that somebody can play it back, send it to them, have them look at it, go back and forth. You can imagine the amount of time you're spending downloading and uploading things to a cloud because it's mm -hmm. too big to email back and forth, right? So I think you're going to start to see that and say, okay, so how could we create a, a synchronous space that they could come in and watch this in one place? Or how do we create a better workflow around our cloud-based assets? Or how do we create a better way for somebody to come in a room and just start launching something from their phone, um, no matter what they software, no matter what operating system they have, or no matter what uh, meeting platform they have? I think those are where we're really going to see gaps. 
And so my, that's my biggest piece of advice is, you know, what worked before, you know, what worked and didn't work in virtual. Now the plan to go back to the office is how do we make the office a place that bridges those gaps? Because otherwise there's no reason to have it. If the office isn't going to be a place that solves the gaps in the virtual experience, then there's no reason to go into the office in the first place. Right. So yeah. you really have to think of the office as a, as a new, a new piece. The, the office is the solution and the bridge from the limitations of virtual and the result you're trying to ch- achieve as a business. And that's really how you have to start to think of your physical space. How does this physical space add to virtual? If not, we shouldn't have it. You shouldn't. That's a really, really good point. And I, I like the way that you put that in, in terms of how to think through uh, what worked during this time and what can be improved and, and, and how you build forward from there. So uh, on the integrator side, what personal experiences or insights would you like to share with other integrators and, and maybe tips, advice that, that you've picked up on during this time that you can share with them that will be beneficial as they walk through this experience as well? Yeah, it's funny. I'm, I'm writing a blog on this right now. And as integrators, as technology people, we love to focus on technology, right? And we're, you know, and, I, and there's nothing wrong with that. At some point, we have to focus on technology because there is a technical delivery of a system into a space that needs to be connected properly, that needs to run properly, that needs to be supported properly, and that we need to have our users adopt. So that part of our business is very important. But I would say that part of our business is very important once we know we have a relationship with the customer. And many times we bring those those items and those conversations forward way too quickly in the process. And I think integrators right now, they would really benefit from instead of talking about ins and outs, meaning the inputs and outputs of an audio video system, that they talk about different ins and outs being intents and outcomes. What is your company trying to do? What gaps are they trying to bridge? So have that gap conversation with them. And then what are they trying to achieve by having this, these spaces in the first place? What business outcomes do they need to generate out of the spaces? And if we can have those ins and outs conversations, the int- intents and outcomes, as opposed to inputs and outputs on a machine up front, mm-hmm. we can really start to help solve business problems. That's what people need right now. I will tell you, from all the companies I've talked to and that I've worked with, people are looking for somebody to lead them. They really are. Like they're tentative in a couple different ways, right? Number one, they want to take care of their employees. They love their people. Like most companies do like their people. Corporate world gets a bad rap. But at the end of the day, like most <laughs> managers like their teams and and most on a personal level, most businesses don't they don't want to subject their people to to sickness and potential death and and chronic illness. Like it, it, nobody wants that right? Like villainize whichever CEO you want. I guarantee you he's not sitting at home hoping his employees get sick. He's not, right. you know, <laughs> and, he, and he does care on some level that, uh, about that. So I think you have that. I think you have um, another new um, contingency that's happening within companies and that they're, they're having to weigh their liabilities from an HR perspective. Okay. Like in, in healthcare, for instance, there's a HIPAA uh, code, right? The the uh, Patient Portability Act, the Healthcare Privacy Information Act, that whole piece talks about doing your best effort. 
So if a medical company doesn't take its best effort to protect your data, they have some legal liability. I think we're going to have some of that in HR. If you're not doing your best or making your best effort to create a safe workplace, to make sure you're informing employees of their risks, to make sure you're informing people when they've been exposed to things, to help people quarantine when they need to, um, to provide alternate ways to work if you have health risks, then you might have a legal liability if you're not considering that from that standpoint. So I think we have that going on as well, right? Mm -hmm. So most of these companies are really looking for somebody to say, hey, this is what we've seen work. And I think if we could lead you down, we could tweak this to meet your organization's needs, that this is the path that gives you the best chance of having a safe and productive work environment. They're really looking for that leadership and everybody's kind of stalled out waiting for somebody to lead into that. And I think the more we see the headlines on, well, Google's not going to go back to July or so-and-so is not going to go back till September, then everybody pushes the can down the road. When, when their business may be completely different, they might not be able to wait seven months to figure it out, right? But they just don't see anybody leading. And, it, and so I would say as an integrator, educate yourself, be able to facilitate a, a strong business conversation with your client around what's been working and what hasn't. And then help help by leading them down a path and giving them confidence in what they're doing, because that's really where they need help right now. Right. Very, very good advice there on the on the integrator side. And let's wrap up today, Mark, just uh, talking about any advice that you would offer manufacturers and how they work with integrators in 2021 and maybe understand the challenges that integrators are dealing with. Yeah, I mean, honestly, right now, I mean, for me, the manufacturers that have been kind of the most I guess the most helpful to me, ones that have been willing to send me demo equipment and demo gear, you know, like we're navigating a lot of different environments with customers and sometimes they want to, they want to see things and having easy access to product is very helpful, especially if there's a way that we can, you know, demonstrate or, or, uh, you know, mock up some type of environment for a client, again, to help give them confidence. They've seen it, they've touched it, they've felt it, they like it. Mm-hmm. And now we want to do it times a thousand or times a hundred or times whatever that is. Um, you know, there there are some companies I've worked with where getting equipment, it, it becomes very hard, right? And they want financial commitments up front, et cetera. That makes things sticky. You know, manufacturers that, you know, have you sign a piece of paper for liability in case you don't return something and then send something out the door and you get it in two or three days, that's very, very helpful. And so, you know, partners who are willing to also invest in the process is what I would say. Um, there have been some other manufacturers I've seen that have really started to look at their portfolio of products and start to help, I guess, um, catalog those in a way that creates a, a case study or some type of roadmap as to how you would use the seven, eight products together in this new space. I think anything like that that's that's taking a step back and not digging deeper into a specification, a speed, a feed, some type of, you know, um, uh, on the product and really goes back and looks at takes an aerial view and says, hey, integrators, we know these are the type of systems you're building out there. And these are the six things we think um, would help in delivering that, even if two or three of them aren't things that they make, right? Like playing Macy's Santa Claus a little bit during this time helps. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, we don't make that, but we've seen this piece of software. We've seen this thing that really works well with our systems that you go find. And I could connect the dots for you on that. Um, it's a part of the system that we think is important, but it's just not something we do. Those type of relationships are very, very important to me because I need people. Um, and then I'd say thirdly, I, the, the third one, being able to share some general market. 
I don't expect anybody to share an integrator's trade secrets with me. And I, I hopefully I haven't sh- shared too many, t- anything here that my CEO would be uncomfortable with today. I don't think I have <laughs> very general talk about, about different things, but you know, we don't have to share sh- trade secrets, but manufacturers see where all of their, um, their integrators, where all of their vendors are having success in a region, in a vertical I mean, think of think of a manufacturer who has, you know, when I was a manu, I worked for a manufacturer. I had 300 integrators in California, Nevada, Arizona, Hawaii. So I had 300 companies that were giving me some idea of like whose projects were moving forward, what verticals they were in, what territories were doing better for than others, what product categories were selling into those verticals and territories. I had some very general market trend knowledge that if I shared that generally with my with any individual company that I worked with it may help them with their business development it may help them with their resource allocation right and so i think there's a lot of um by touching so many different companies you can really get this nice aerial of a territory or a vertical from a manufacturer if they're willing to share that in a way that doesn't um, jeopardize their relationship with any one individual company Well, I think that's some uh, incredible advice and um, just a lot of fantastic insights here on the podcast today. So Mark Coxon, technology leader at Tangram, thank you so much for joining us today and uh, sharing a little bit more on uh, on these topics and talking about how to re-enter the office uh, from every possible perspective and, and sharing your insights and expertise today. No, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, we were uh, lucky to have you. So thank you again. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Collaborative Tech Talk, a podcast from ScreenBeam. Of course, we have previous episodes of the podcast. So if you've missed any episodes, make sure to go check out those. You can also subscribe to Apple Podcasts or Spotify to stay up to date with the latest from ScreenBeam in terms of thought leadership in education, in uh, Pro-AV, in the office, and in other locations. So make sure to, to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with the latest on those things. And of course, we'll be back soon with new episodes. Episodes. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening.